Well, good morning, my friends. Welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. I'm so thankful you could be with me today as we continue to unfold the scriptures verse by verse. We're in the midst of an extended study of the book of Romans. Today we're going to begin chapter 3 of the book of Romans. I'm going to begin reading today in verse 1 of that chapter and read through verse 4. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value in circumcision? Well, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? Well, by no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. If you've been with me in our study of the book of Romans so far, you remember that from about the midpoint of the first chapter through the end of the second chapter, we've been discovering the universal problem of sin in the human life, and that all people are sinners and separated from God as a consequence, and ultimately hopeless and helpless in the midst of that sin. Romans 1.16 began that discussion with this comment, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. <laughs> the gospel's power is necessary because everybody's in a condition where, left to themselves, they have no answer and no solution to the accountability that's inescapable before God. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, we're told that it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, to face judgment or accountability before God. Well, when we face such accountability, how good do we have to be in order to pass it and not be separated from God? Well, these chapter 2 made it plain to us. Well, the answer to that is even one sin puts you in a place where you can't face that accountability. We learned in looking at Genesis chapter 3, the story in the Garden of Eden, that Adam and Eve, just one sin was enough to force them out of the garden. One sin is enough to make us a sinner instead of being righteous. Righteousness is determined on the basis of God's perfect holiness and righteousness. It's not determined on some sort of relative scale, like how well we've done over against how well other people have done. Now, God doesn't mark on a curve. Either we are righteous or we are sinners. Now, certainly, as sinners, people can vary from one another in how morally degenerate they become, but they don't differ from one another in the fact they are sinners. And even in light of the very greatest of the commandments, you remember, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, who in their right mind feels they could stand before God who knows everything? our thoughts, our actions, our deeds, who in their right mind believes they're going to be able to stand before that God and say, well, yeah, I did the greatest of the commandments. <laughs> None of us could. And therefore, all of us are sinners. All of us have sinned and are separated from God as a result, not only here, but in an eternal frame as well. All face accountability before God. We can't solve that accountability problem. In other words, we can't overcome and resolve the consequence of our sin any way left to ourselves. 
We can't solve it by trying to just do a better job in our life because we're already sinners, no matter what we do from this point on. We can't solve it by trying to add in a religious dimension to our life as if some sort of determination to be more religious would somehow make us more acceptable to God. Now, God wants us to turn over a new leaf or perhaps even be religious in terms of living a more moral and upright life, but it doesn't change the essential character of our problem, which is that we, in fact, are no longer righteous and must account for sin. Last time, we ended the second chapter with the discussion of religious rites, sacraments, the idea that somehow we could go through some sort of sacrament or ritual or rite and change ourselves as a result of that, that we would now be acceptable to God. And God said, no, sacraments, rites, they're no solution because even just one sin makes the example he was using of circumcision, makes circumcision as if it wasn't circumcision. Then the same thing would hold true. It Going through any of the sacraments, even one sin, would make the sacrament of no use to you. <laughs> all right, so here we are left in that dilemma of all of us standing before God accountable for our sin. The Jews, being a premier example of the dead end of religiosity, were standing separated from God because of their sin, even with their religious activity. Unless God does something, we're all in trouble. And of course, the wonder of the gospel, Romans 1.16, is that God did do something. He sent in his love his very son into this world who lived and who died and who rose again in order to solve our sin dilemma. That's what the gospel is all about. The gospel that is the good news offered to us is that that gospel is powerful enough to solve the human dilemma, to save everyone who believes. Well, that's our backdrop. <laughs> Building on that, now moving into the third chapter, uh, the question before us is, well, if being religious, or in this case being like a Jew, didn't save someone, was there any advantage to being religious or being a Jew? And the answer is, there was a great advantage if a person was a Jew. Now, that advantage didn't mean that they were saved because they were a Jew, but nonetheless, there was a great advantage. Remember, the chapter starts out, well, what advantage has the Jew? What's the value of circumcision? Well, much in any way, in every way. Let's examine together what God is talking about here and try to make sense out of it as we think about the impossibility of the human dilemma of sin and an inability to deal with it, then at the same time, somehow there was an advantage here for the Jew. Let's look at it. He says, much in every way, their advantage. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. There was the great advantage for the Jew. They were entrusted with the oracles of God. To begin with, is the way the ESV translates this, it translates the Greek word protos. The King James Version translates it with the word chiefly. Uh, the idea is something that's most important, first in the sense of being important. <laughs> what is it that was an advantage to the Jew? Well, first and foremost, above everything else, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. This Greek word protos, this translated to begin with, or to be chiefly most important, was also used 
in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where in the English we find the challenge, seek first the kingdom of God. The word first, as it's translated there, is the Greek word protos, of first importance. Seek the kingdom of God here. Of first importance, to begin with, if you're trying to understand the advantage there was in being a Jew, is that you had been given the oracles of God. To have the scriptures, the oracles of God, was an incredible advantage to the Jew. And it's an incredible advantage to anyone. It's the advantage above all advantages, the protos. I wonder if you've ever thought of the scriptures in that way. That to have access to the scriptures is the greatest advantage that can be offered a person in this world. In the midst of a world without truth, eternal truth has been given. And the Jews were entrusted with that truth. And a good stewardship was expected of them. <laughs> they were entrusted with something Meaning, not only was it given to you, but it was entrusted to you as something that you would be a good steward of and help others with it. A good stewardship was being expected by them. Now, notice what it says about the Bible here, because I want to pick up on a phrase in verse 2. The oracles of God. The scriptures, as we have it, this amazing book, Old and New Testament, these are the oracles of God. The Greek word translated oracles here is the Greek word logion. Related to the Greek word logos, which is translated word. Think of John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And in verse 14 of chapter 1 of John, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And of course, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the scriptures are the oracles, the logion of God. The Bible, in other words, these words that we have been studying verse by verse, these words are a divine utterance, a statement of truth originating with God. That's what oracle means. Uh, the idea behind this word logion translated oracle, is that there is something that has been breathed out by the God of the universe, the one who is the creator, the one who made us, the one who is the Lord. Something has been breathed out from that one, an oracle, a message. Now, this is this sort of image is exactly what we encounter in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Listen, all scripture is breathed out by God. Some translations say inspired by God. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All of the scripture, the Old and New Testament, is God-breathed. That phrasing, by the way, describes when you're trying to describe somebody's speech or saying they breathe out, through their vocal cords, the message and the words are then for, therefore heard. That's the image used of God, that they're God-breathed. The message we have in the scriptures, these very words are the oracles, the God-breathed message from God originating with him. The scriptures are sourced in God's revelation, not men's insights, 
not men's thinking, not the best that people come up with as they get away by themselves and try to think about life and think about truth. No, this is God's message to us. He has breathed it out and made it available to us. Think of how it's put in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 29 through 31, or 19 through 21. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, Greek word protos again, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the scriptures are the Logion, the oracle of God, the very God-breathed message, originating with God, not with men. Theologically, we call that propositional revelation. Truth, objectively true, inescapably authoritative, because it is sourced not in humanity, but sourced in the Creator God, the great God who is really there. Therefore, the NIV, as an example, translates this passage by saying, Logion as the very words of God. And that's really what we're talking about. Now, what's the point of all of this? I'll leave that theological discussion for a moment. The point of this is that the Jews had this advantage, which was the protos advantage, the greatest of the advantages. They had the advantage of having access to God's direct revelation, propositional truth, propositional revelation from the God who is really there. No one else in the world initially had access to the Logion of God. Only the Jews were in that privileged position of having the very God-breathed words given to them, the Old Testament. The rest of the world could only draw upon, first of all, their own thinking, their own human reasoning. They could only draw upon the best of personal reflection or group reflection about life. They could only, in a sense, draw upon God's general revelation, which we saw in the scriptures, includes the creation itself. And in the creation of God, the world that we see around us, we see some truths about the God who is really there. Now, that's all they had. But the Jews had propositional revelation, breathed out words from the God who was really there, objective words, propositionally true, inescapably authoritative. The Jews did not just have a picture that maybe God can speak to people. They had the words of God having been spoken that they could act upon. And by the way, this protos for the Jews, this great advantage for the Jews, is the advantage to anyone today who has access to the Bible. Because the Bible in its entirety, the Old Testament, the New Testament, is all logion, all oracle of God, all God-breathed message. Those with access to the scripture have some place to turn to know what is true. They have some place to turn beyond the best ideas that people could have about what life's all about. They have somewhere to turn to see 
something beyond the best that men can come up with to make sense out of the world in which we find ourselves. <laughs> and in a world that is seeking for truth and meaning, this is of first importance. What a wonderful benefit it is. By the way, that's the reason we have Wednesdays in the Word, the unfolding of the Word ministry, the teaching ministry of Dr. Gary Cooney. It's not because I'm the spokesman. God is the God-breather of these truths. But what I'm doing is helping you understand verse by verse, essentially almost word by word, the kinds of things that God has actually said to us so that we have somewhere to turn for this truth. The world is looking for truth. In rebelliousness against God, they don't want to turn to what God has said, but they're still looking for truth. And what a wonderful benefit it is of the protos of first importance that we have access to the things that God has said. The Jews, while not saved because they had it, still had access to the very oracle of God, the very words of God. I was thinking in John chapter 18, during Jesus' uh, final time in this world as he was leading up to the cross, as he stood before Pilate, the governor, uh, and was being interrogated by Pilate, Pilate posed this question to him. He said, what is truth? Because truth was the very issue that was being involved there. What is truth? Or perhaps even better, where does one find truth? Because that's really what what Pilate was asking. Where does one find truth that one can rely upon as actually being true? <laughs> what a great question for Pilate and for all of humanity. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 and verse 17, says this, Thy word is the truth. He also said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. <laughs> The very oracle God-breathed word is where we find true truth. So, what an advantage it was for the Jews, among all other people, especially at the time of Christ, to have access to the scriptures. And what advantage it is today for people to have access to the scripture. It's the reason we translate it into other languages. It's the reason we try to get people into it, because that's a great, great advantage to us. But the point also being made in these opening verses of the third chapter is that while that is the protos, the great advantage the Jew had in all people today who have access to the Bible, it's not enough of an advantage. The Jews had access to the oracles of God, the propositional revelation from God, the God-breathed word. But it wasn't enough. People today can have access to God's word, and it's not enough. Why? Why isn't the access to the logion enough? And the answer is, access needs to be combined with faith, with accepting and acting on what the very words of God are revealing to us. Think of how it's put in John chapter 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think you may have eternal life in them. And it is they that will bear witness about me, and yet you refuse to come to me so that you would have life. <laughs> you see, the Jews and everyone else needs to act on the oracles of God. 
They need to respond in obedience to the things that God has actually said. The Jews had this protos, this wonderful advantage of having access to what God had to say, but they didn't act on it. They didn't use it and do what God had called for them to do. Think how it put it in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Listen to these words. Therefore, while the promise of entering its rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, talking about the Jews, but the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not united by faith in those who listened. <laughs> the Jews had this amazing advantage, and God is not minimizing it. They had the protos, they had God's oracle, God's word, God's proposition. But it did not benefit them. Why? Because they refused to believe it and act upon it. The same holds true today. But we also need to understand, as verses 3 and 4 tell us, that God's word is true even if people are not faithful to it and obedient to it and acting upon it. Listen, for what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone is a liar, for it's written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. <laughs> the Jews had the protos, the great advantage of exposure to the word of God. And many of you today had that same advantage as we are exposed to the word of God, Old and New Testament. But access to truth carries with it accountability before God. Luke chapter 12 Verse 48 puts it this way, to whom much is given, much is required. The Jews had this great, great advantage and much was required of them. They needed to act on it and God held them accountable because they refused to act on it. The Jews now and the Christians and all people are entrusted with the revelation of God, the Old and the New Testaments. God has given it to us, then he holds us accountable for what we do with it. God wants his word obeyed. God wants it shared. The Jews, it tells us here in these verses, the Jews were unfaithful to the Logion that God had given them. While they had the oracle of God, the propositional truth that God had revealed, breathed out, and made available to them, they didn't act on it personally. And they didn't share it with other people. A truth that was designed by God to introduce people to the fact he is there and how to solve our sin problem. They refused to share it with other people. <laughs> it's like they had been given the book, didn't want to act on it themselves and closed it up and didn't want anybody else to even hear it. What a terrible, terrible indictment of the Jews. And yet it's the same indictment of all people today who have access to the word of God. Those in churches, those outside the churches, they don't act on it and they close it up and don't talk to other people about it. The Jews had been entrusted, remember that was the word that was used, with God's revelation, propositional revelation. He wanted his word acted upon and shared, but they didn't do it. They didn't 
do it. They were unfaithful to it. And God's message here is that his word remains true even if people were unfaithful to it. His propositional revelation still was true truth, even though the Jews did not act upon it and as a result did not benefit from it. But it was still a tremendous advantage to them to be exposed to the word. People are lost because they are sinners, but they will only be found as they hear the word and respond to it, essentially hearing the gospel and responded to it. God's word remains true even when people have not acted upon it. Practical point. You and I need to accept the scriptures as the oracles of God, to see the privilege that we've been given to have access to the things that God has said. You and I are called upon to trust his word as truth. His word is where we find truth in the midst of the lack of it, in the world that we find ourselves in. We need to believe his word as it tells us about our condition. We need to believe his word as it tells us about eternity. We need to believe his word as it tells us about judgment. Remember, it's appointed unto man once to die, after that to face judgment. We need to believe his word when we find out, as Ephesians 2 underscores for us, that all by nature are objects of wrath, without hope and without God in this world. Then we need to believe his word as God explains to us his loving solution to that accountability and hopeless condition that all of us were in and what he did with the gospel. No wonder, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. But you have to believe it, not just hear it. Believe it and rest in it and act upon it. We have a future and a hope only in Christ. Not self-effort, not religious effort, not religious rites, only in Christ. We must act. Don't be like the Jews who didn't act on the truth that they were given. Don't be like them, ununiting with the truth. Act on it this day. Our future and our hope can only be found in him. The Jews and now others who have access to the scriptures have the greatest advantage because they have access to truth. They have the protos. But that advantage can't save anyone by itself. We need to act upon it. Is all of that clear? I hope it is for you today. Then I hope you have acted upon that very truth. Well, join me again, Lord willing, next week for Wednesdays in the Word, and we will move further into the third chapter as God brings this discussion of human sin and culpability before him and the wonder of the gospel to an exciting conclusion, directing us toward the wonder of what is offered in the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless. <laughs>